party tonight. TV party tonight. Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated yes. to our favorite shows. Oh, my tickets. Everybody loves hip photos. Gary Dog. Dancing at Blurred Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledge Broadcasting premier podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, our favorite show is Cobra Kai Season 5, No Mercy. As a matter of fact, it's a new era of No Mercy, so the poster tells me. And it is brought to you by the good people at Netflix, as well as the following production companies. Uh, Herwich and Schlossberg Productions, uh, which are good partners with uh, How We Do Them and how, what is it? How do we cheat them and how do we cheat them and how? Thank you. Um, Overbrook Entertainment, Healed Productions, Counterbalance Entertainment, Westbrook Studios, and Sony Pictures Television, and the aforementioned Netflix. Joining me tonight is the man who demanded we do this. Uh, here I am, Mark Rattledge, trying to cut back on podcasts, and Pat just like comes into the high school sees me there and he's like hey mark rattledge mandated reporter who's frankly mortified are we gonna talk cobra kai and i was like no no i only want to do this two days a week and i've got my two in for the week so uh, i'm gonna go see the red hot chili peppers tonight and he goes poof and he pushes me in the locker and he says i think we need to talk about cobra kai and i went okay pat so here's pat mullen how do you do sir Karate is not a phase. It's a way of life. Very good. I just crashed your cocktail party with all your fancy guests and just reminded you of where you came from as this podcast relationship goes on about 10 years now. That's right. Because as we know, my my first rule of Quicksilver is a man can't speak, he can't podcast. This is also very true. Hey, Pat, I got two words for you. And it's not suck it. Let's let's not go that, down that road. Does one of them start with a C and end with a T? No, I have two words for you. Mike fucking Barnes. Karate's <clears throat> bad boy. That's goddamn right. Um, Who we'll still looks in- about 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, he looks good. Way to go, just- Sean Kanan. <clears throat> I was looking at his Wikipedia page. I was like, what? I don't know if he's had a lot of work. And he, he's, he's worked steady since Karate Kid 3. He's a pretty steady soap actor. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like nothing major. You know, he's definitely not an A-list player, but he has he is a steady hand and he definitely gets a lot of fairly decent name work. So good for him. And I was it was fun to see him in the two or three episodes he was in here this season. But um, this is season five of Cobra Kai. And this is the big Terry Silver season just coming out of season four. He got Martin Cove, uh, John Kreese arrested for aggravated assault on um, what's his nuts character? Stingray. Stingray, right? Who Stingray made up that story, you know, to get uh, get in good with Terry Silver. So this season we see Ralph Macchio and uh, William Zabka, you know, Daniel Russo and uh, Billy <clears throat> teaming up to take down Terry Silva and his ever expanding Cobra Kai. The other thing that came out of last season was that Peyton List character. Um, she was the referee was bought and paid for, so she won the tournament, but not really because she, I think it was a matter of 
the kick was inbounds and it there, was an, counted. Yeah, there was an out of bounds point. There was a, mm -hmm. a non point that should have been there. It, right. So, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, she got, she won Canelo 120 to zero. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That was the karate equivalent of Canelo triple G one. That's correct. Uh, so we're still dealing with that. Um, at the end of the season, uh, what's his character's name? Um, Miguel goes to Mexico to look for his father. Uh, and I believe William Zapka and uh, Tanner Buchanan, who plays Robbie, go after him. Johnny Lawrence, that's his name. I don't know why I call him Billy. Uh, they go after him. And the Miyagi-Do has shut down because they lost the All-Valley to the ever-cheating Cobra Kai. Uh, this season sees Terry Silva wanting to expand Cobra Kai all over the world. And we get introduced to the concept of the Sakai... What is Sakai the name Kai. Sakai Kai Kai, which is the Super Bowl of karate tournaments. Um, so they want to... What they don't tell you is it's actually run by Frank Dukes. Really? And that's okay. why nobody knows about it. No. <laughs> so so the whole plot of this season is wanting to get cobra kai expand expanded enough they can enter this tournament and you know and be the most influential the most successful karate dojo in in the world and daniel larusso is brought in chosen from the karate kid part two who is his big enemy to help him take down terry silver and end cobra kai once and for all and that is where we pick things up so I'm going to let you take over, Pat, and lead the discussion here. What do you want to talk about first? We want to talk about how great a villain, one of the great television villains of all time, Terry Silver is. Just what how, what a, I can't believe he hasn't gotten more work because this guy in this character is one of the best written villains on television. I mean, don't we always have to start with Terry Silver? We begin, middle, and end with Terry Silver. Yes. Yeah. So, so again, going back to the end of season three and going into season four, you you didn't understand my my exuberance mm. and, and joy and hopefulness that they were bringing this character back, and then you got to watch season season four and be like, oh, I get it now. This guy is great. That you know, it's both references to him in the show from the characters themselves, like when Daniel says things like. This is what we're dealing with when he's introducing Chosen to Terry in episode one via the, the end of the All-Valley Tournament that was recorded. And this is how the world sees him. And he's talking about all the things karate's done for him and what he intends to do for the Valley through karate. They, you know, they see him as a philanthropist and all this stuff. And, right. you know, okay. Well, Chosen initially a little more blunt instrument than you would like him to be if you're Daniel, where he mm -hmm. immediately pulls out the size and is like, oh, we'll cut the head off the snake. And he's like, no, no, not literally. We have there's laws um actively and, trying to avoid murder yeah and, and terry you know by winning the all valley which at this point we're going to just assume is the karate hotbed of, of the united states at this point um <laughs> fair right fair assumption sure. okay Look, in, in an infinite possibility of universes i'm sure there is one where the san fernando valley is the height of karate well, I mean, you know, you had a lot of, you know, Asian immigrants immigrate to California initially, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, sure. set up shop there. And much like, you know, when, when the football immigrants came to Texas and the high school's there, you know, where it is. Um, <laughs> so good. so he's conquered those are, the perfectly, those are perfectly valid logical leaps. Very good. Yeah. 
He's conquered the valley. He has this mm-hmm. now. He's taking over all these dojos as we see. He buys out Topanga Karate in Topanga, right. California. He buys out Crunch Karate. He buys this out and pulls a couple of their senseis as his potential right-hand men to teach. Right. And then we get that there's got to be something more to this. What does he really want here? Because as Daniel says, this is a guy who thinks two steps ahead at every part he makes. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what his actual goal is. And we have to just kind of, we're in the shadows for a lot of it, which is cool. I like that. I like that we don't have an immediate answer of what exactly is, are we doing and how do we fight it? Right. They have to just figure out how to fight him one-on-one alone at first, just to stop the expansion in the Valley. And they have a hell of a time doing that because again, he's thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. We go back to his actual karate roots through teaching the Tang Soo Do, through Kim Sung Young in Korea. And he recruits at least initially one sensei from that dojo. What they try to do is play Terry at his own game and they implant Chosen as a potential dojo to teach Terry's students. And he blows it by giving a toast that only an Okinawan person would make with Suntory whiskey, whereas Terry catches him on it. I want to talk about that for just a second because... Terry's not just kind of a Skeletor-esque, mustache-twirly, you know, uh, villain. He's not to do. Well, he's smart, is what I was going to say. He's smart. He's cultured. He actually knows things. And when and when he realizes that somebody in somebody that Chosen is playing wouldn't say the thing that Chosen said, he's like, nope, something stinks in the state of Denmark. This isn't right. And he reacts to it. But he doesn't even react in the moment. He's like, oh this something smells fishy here and he goes and investigates he's like oh okay i see what happened here and he tries to get chosen beaten up and of course chosen's a badass so he takes out the entire dojo right but that's the charm of terry is that one he not only senses something's wrong in the moment and doesn't just immediately react to it hmm okay i'm going to further this and when i find out i'm going to make it hell for him and he thought he did the other thing i like about terry is that He's not a battering ram the way a lot of villains are. He's never coming at you directly in a lot in a lot of ways. He'll set you up to hurt yourself. My it's cringy and it was a little hard for me to get through. But the scene at the cocktail party where the, the made, auction with uh, Amanda yeah. trying to get on this board. Oh yeah, that is a rough scene because that is all Daniel still being way paranoid, impulsive. paranoid and impulsive yeah. and not thinking things through and overreacting and he comes across like the crazy person and all terry did was nudge him which is crazy that you could push Mm -hmm. somebody to that point and push and push and push and he knows it he knows every step of the way so even he's surprised by the reaction when he meets up with daniel at stingray's apartment mm -hmm. and says really surprised at how easy it was to break your marriage apart it's like oh you evil bastard well that's the most evil thing you've done so far because of some stuff that's happened in my personal life i've been doing a lot of i've been watching a lot of tiktoks on narcissism which is now basically like how i handle life is through tiktok um it's all i got time for you know and uh one of the things they say about a narcissist is that they will get you to react just to make you look crazy to everybody else oh yeah you know and that's what that's what they're good at and that is and, and i God, you and I were talking before the show about narcissism and upload, which is the clip I pulled for TikTok. Kind of the same thing here. You have a very narcissistic, manipulative, pathologically lying person who never comes at you directly. You know, you get smeared, you get manipulated, and you're you become your own worst enemy because you keep giving into this, you know, this this crazy person. And it, the strength of his villainy is in his ability 
to take your own flaws and turn them against you. And because Daniel is such a critically flawed human being. I mean, when you think about where we've come since the Karate Kid, he was the bullied kid who, who persevered and won a tournament. He, he's not Abraham Lincoln. You know, he's not, he's not this like great thoughtful general. He beat another kid in a tournament, but you know, but we see him as a hero and it's like, you know, and then he just, because he's got all of this success now and he's got all of this confidence, he goes on to be a car salesman and, you know, and everything else. But what, but beneath that is still very much this flawed kid that, he learned to fight and he learned to be confident, but he didn't learn to deal with a lot of his other personality defects. And Terry is so good about pulling those out of him. And he's been, and he's done it to the kid since he was 17 years old. And that's right. another part that weighs heavily into it. Mm-hmm. Daniel wasn't even a fully formed adult when he first had to deal with Terry Silver and his manipulative you know, nature and the ways he comes at you, driving a wedge between him and Mr. Miyagi, which still mm-hmm. plays in his head to this point. Is it, like is when he great... references to the kids in season two, how mm-hmm. he was once Cobra Kai, and they were like, what? And he talks about how this happened to him, and he was manipulated and driven and understands what Cobra Kai can do to you. Well, one of the great scenes in this, when when um, his wife leaves him in the one episode, and then the next episode she goes and sees, like, it's her sister. And they have the conversation in the bar, and her sister is the girl from Karate Kid Part 3, which yes. I didn't even realize until they showed the flashback. Um, lively, who has aged quite lively. I was um, gonna say, she, <laughs> uh, yeah, she's aged quite. She's aged quite well. And when I realized who that was, I was like, "Holy shit, that she still looks at, like young. Like she still looks like her younger self." Right, and, and I'm admittedly a little more of a super fan, particularly for part three, than most people are. Um, so I saw Robin Lively come through the door. I was like, "Oh my god, it's Jessica Andrews." Mm-hmm. And I guess their their cousins is uh, how they're relaying it. I don't know if they're yeah. cousins or sisters. I didn't catch. I think it's cousins, but yeah, like you know they're talking whatever and where's daniel why didn't he make the trip and it's like oh this is how they met and this is kind of cool okay this is a nice little tie back they have a conversation they have a conversation in the bar and she says to her like you and 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 larusso's wife oh gosh her name amanda amanda so amanda's like i don't understand why my crazy ass husband just won't let this go And, and look let me just let me take a moment and talk about Amanda because this is this is the part of the podcast where I usually slam the woman on this she on the female man haters fucking club that we've got going here in the Rattle the Broadcasting Network. But I actually am on Amanda's side because if you don't have the full context, your husband seems like a lunatic. Exactly, and that's and why like, this is done well. Yeah, you you are a middle aged couple involved in a karate gang war. None of this makes any sense. You know, it's like Hawkeye's line from Age of Ultron. He was just like, I've got a bow and arrow, and I'm shooting them at robots. None of this makes any sense, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, and, but then she's talking to Jessica, and she name drops Terry Silver, and Jessica's like, what? Oh, and then she's like, you don't understand. Yeah. Because what seems like, this is what I was getting to, what seems like, why can't he just let this go? You don't understand. He was traumatized by this guy. He was abused by him. Like there were things that happened that are beyond the scope of you had a bad day. Yeah. And when and, Amanda and- realized that, she was like, oh, okay. Now his obsession with taking this guy down makes a little more sense to me. And so much credit to Josh Mitchell and John, uh, the production mm-hmm. and writing team for that. Because it's not only a way of finding a fun callback to that movie mm-hmm. yet again, but now you're using it to contextualize the situation to 
pull somebody out of a situation where really there would normally be no justification. There's no right. way you could actively explain this to somebody and have right. them believe what you're saying is true based on the insane context of where and, it's falling into. And I want to draw, I want to go back to that one second. They, when she's like, the line is written and I feel like it was meant for the audience to not have a lot of sympathy for Amanda, make her seem entitled. She's like, we should be drinking margaritas by the pool, not in a karate gang war. And Daniel's like, and, and Daniel couldn't verbalize the way that they write him. He struggles with, with communication, which is funny because he's a salesman, but he can't communicate to Amanda how bad this guy was and how bad he was treated by him and how he doesn't want what happened to him to happen to more kids. This to is anybody, about period to anybody. He, it's about saving people from the evil that is Terry Silver. And she's just like, this isn't what middle-aged white people do. Like this is just not how things should be going, and it's it, it's introducing a real supervillain into right. essentially a real world context, right? And she's reacting appropriately. That's yeah. the what I'm getting at. Normally, I'd be like, "What a bitch!" You know, like she, she's on the Adrian scale. She's not. She's she's the one reacting appropriately to this. Opposite end of the Adrian scale, right? And then, but then you hear what? Just to draw this to a close, then you hear why, and and she reacts appropriately again. Now that I have more information, I'm a little more sympathetic to my crazy husband. And I see the value in what he's doing. Who is dealing with the most evil man alive. <laughs> yeah, who is literally dealing with Satan. Yeah, you know? and, but also <laughs> fun callback in that scene to our Karate Kid 3 fans with the girl, Elizabeth Ann, who uh, is you know making fun of her at the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, those of you who remember Karate Kid Part 3 will remember that in when Daniel first meets Jessica... There is a headless picture that he asks, what happened to the guy in the picture? And she goes, oh, Elizabeth Ann Rooney. That's what happened. Gotcha. So yeah, I had no there, idea. There's some, there's some long-run beef there with Elizabeth Ann Rooney and uh, the Andrews uh, cousins or sisters, as it were. Let me say that, that, that one of the – people have been asking, like, what have you been watching lately? And I was like, oh, I just finished binging Cobra Kai Season 5. And a lot of people that I've talked to haven't watched it. And they were like, oh, is it any good? I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like the best written show on television right now. It's like the wire watchman Cobra Kai. It's that good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of it's the just, reasons, uh, one of things that it, makes it that good is that attention to detail. Yeah. It's, and it's this season really more than any other I've seen where they mm -hmm. take a seemingly absurd series of situations. Right. And tie it together so well with context, with, mm -hmm. uh, previous context of the films, the previous seasons, right? Um, how to advance this story without making it go way off the deep end, which I think season six, we're probably going to get back into the little realm of ridiculousness again, but that's okay. Uh, um, they have to end it with season six. At, at this yeah. point, the only place to go is space. You know, <laughs> <laughs> once they've done the, once they've done the international karate tournament, we're done here, people. The only, there's only one where the place to go and that is karate champ of the universe. And that's going to be a little silly. So please yeah. end this with season six, please. Um, but but that's that's you know again the 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 way they've grounded everything mm -hmm. via the initial series, via the series, via the developments through the course of the seasons, it's really been excellent. And I think the I, I would point to this season probably as having the strongest core of writing of any of them. To be honest, that didn't necessarily lean so much on the past, but take the past and incorporate it to strengthen what's happening in the present. Um, you and I talked before the show and we were, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know quite what I want to talk about, but the one thing that I did want to bring it up and now is as good a time as any is Peyton List, who plays, oh gosh, what's Tori Nichols. Tori Nichols, yes. She's probably the best character in the show right now. Yeah. 
She's the one that's the most layered. She's the one that's the most complex. She is the one having a crisis of conscience. Um, she is the most gray of the characters. I mean, everyone's sort of everyone's sort of moving either, either towards you know lawful good or or um, chaotic evil. She's kind of still in that neutral category of I'm not the best person, but I want to be better. But I'm in a situation I can't get out of, and I don't know what to do. Um, she knows that she didn't win the tournament truthfully, but she's afraid of what Terry will do to her if she comes clean. And so she's going to, of all people, John Kreese, because she feels like, well, maybe I can trust this guy. Cause he's and the only person who's really, other than Amanda LaRusso, mm -hmm. who she can't side with at this point without immediately invoking the wrath of Terry Silver. And she knows that. Kreese Not to mention she has no relationship with, with, um, the daughter. Yeah. But but Kreese is also the only person who's ever shown her essentially what she believes to be a selfless act of kindness right. when he got the creepo landlord to leave her alone, admitted her back into Cobra Kai without making her pay for it or anything, and allowed her to go where she needed to go. Right. So she so he's kind of like a father figure in her life, which is something she is sor sorely lacking. She and then as much as I sometimes don't like the Samantha LaRusso character, I think she can be a bit of a twat. You know, I, I can see why. I can see why both of them snarl and get on hind legs when they're around each other. Kids are not always the best communicators. And so you even have that scene where Peyton goes and confesses, like, I didn't really beat you. And I'm trying to make amends. And instead of Samantha acting, you know, appropriately. Now she, we're going to throw she, down. Yeah, she's like her father. She's just all impulse and all rage. Bringing that know? New Jersey Italian uh, side of her out. Yeah. But what I I have to say, Peyton List, and we talked about this last, maybe the last two times we reviewed the show, stellar actress. Yeah. Probably just not getting the credit she deserves because she came from him. She came from Jesse, you know, the, the Disney show, and a lot of kids that. The unfortunate thing about Hollywood is that sometimes your early success is your is your demise. You can't ever get out of where you got pigeonholed. So. You know, How do we get, by the way, from like the kid actors of like the, the mid seventies into the eighties who really just dissipated and destroyed themselves by and large, unfortunately, into the nineties where we kind of had that pullback and kids mm -hmm. were a little more well adjusted and everything was okay. And now they're just being destroyed by and large again. Yeah, I, that's a whole other podcast. My point is that sometimes you you know when you're coming from that Disney or Nickelodeon thing where sure you have a lot of wild success you're a very popular person amongst that the age group these shows are intended for and then you try to get out into the adult world and do some acting and it's like aren't you one of the Disney kids it's like it's like you're shamed for having been in any way successful in a medium where you were needed and it's like I but she's still a good actress and that's that's why I'm I'm, make, I'm taking time to talk about this um Peyton List acts very well with her face she there's a lot of body movement like you can see the stress of the situation weighing on her shoulders they and and, and i credit to the director of photography on this to really frame her nicely and show that as she's trying to navigate for you know for a late teen early 20s girl how much she's trying to deal with all of this and how much it's hurting her not to mention the fact that, and we see her later, you know, they, I think somebody goes to her apartment. I don't remember who. It might have been Samantha. Um, she goes to her apartment and she sees that there's a gurney in a bedroom of somebody she's taking care of. There's just food everywhere. I mean, this girl is- And not very, real food. It's empty rice containers. Right. It's, you know, 
cereal, like the stuff a single divorced man would eat when he first moves out of the house and, right. get, and gets a, a bachelor pad. Right. You know, much like with Amanda, when you see, when you pull, when you step back and you see the whole picture, you see why the characters are behaving the way that they are. There is rarely a time in this show where I'm like, nobody, no human being behaves that way. It's one of the things I, why I credit the writing as being as good as it is. People would absolutely behave this way. I mean, does it always devolve into karate fights? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but, but again, that's that's much like, you know, we talk, we we both love Rocky. Mm -hmm. Boxing isn't the movie; it's the metaphor for the fight. Right. Karate isn't the the show; it's the metaphor for the larger fight. Right. And so that's the thing about that I wanted to talk about with Peyton List is how this season really did did did, did a great job of framing her struggle. Um. In that she is very much a neutral character in terms of alliances and behavior. She wants to do good, but she also needs to take care of herself. And those things don't always, you know, those things are not always uh, congruent. They are sometimes acting against one another. And then she's oh, yeah. caught and she doesn't know what she wants to do. Um, and I have to say, she's probably the most interesting character. I mean, there are some fun characters. But I'll tell you who I've become less interested in over time, both Robbie and Miguel. I, I at this point, I like Robbie is more or less settled down. And this is, a you know, the nice thing about this season was his um, developing a relationship with his father and getting over a lot of that hate. They even make a joke about it later on. Him and Miguel, I, I, I one of the best scenes of this entire season is him and Miguel in the fight in the apartment. Yes. And I'll tell you, and I, and I want to get, and I'll shut up for now that you can respond to this because I know you've got something to say. We as men sometimes, you know, are not always the best communicators. We're not taught to communicate. We're not taught that our feelings are valid. And so, but this stuff comes out in ways. And so in order to cope, we, we learn to deal things physically. And sometimes you just have to punch your friend yep. and just get it out of you, you know. Sometimes you just have to punch until you're tired, and then out of that exhaustion will come some degree of communication. It's antithetical to the 2022 kitchen table conversation of how people should communicate with each other, but it is absolutely how I got brought up, and I'm going to guess how you got brought up. Just a little. Um, but this is the thing, and, and this is the one point that, you know, you as and I, in the era we grew up in, you mm -hmm. know, no matter how much psychological stuff is thrown out there, new understanding, and we want to sway away from physical violence, there is an undeniable, undeniable fact that when you intervene to stop a confrontation of bad feelings without immediate resolution in that moment, those bad feelings fester and become stronger and the conflict becomes greater and harder to manifest a, a good resolution to. Isn't that what Daniel actually says to, uh, to Johnny? Is that's it, what if, he said. If, if we didn't have three points, if we could have just kept going, we might have gotten this out of our system when we were 18. Exactly. And that's the point that needs to be understood and needs to be understood today by society. Okay. Stop. Like when we were kids, you know, I could tell you that, you know, we'd be, you know, out in the street somewhere and somebody says something, one guy says something else. And here, here mm -hmm. you go. They're going right back and forth at each other. And then all of a sudden it's about to go, they're about to throw down. And it's like, okay, what did we do? We circled around them. And we're going to let him go until either one of us has to pull one guy off the other because it's getting out of hand and that's the end of it. Right. Well, they're just going to fight it out and get it out of their system. I've punched more friends than I have enemies in my time. And when somebody would step into the middle of that mm -hmm. and try to break it up, we would grab that guy and pull him <laughs> out and say, what the F are you doing? Let them go. Right. 
And I hated kids like that. And I would end up hitting those kids, you know, mostly because <laughs> of that stuff. But but it needed to be done. And guess what? Once the fight was over, conflict was over. That was it. You have Robbie, and and, and now it's a little bit very TV and how that fight finishes where mm-hmm. Miguel has Robbie in seemingly the very same position Robbie had him in where Robbie chose not to show mercy, kicked Miguel, and damn near paralyzed him for life. Right. And instead, Miguel just kind of pauses and goes, you know, it's kind of go, you had enough? Yeah, you had enough? Yeah, okay. Kind of almost like at the end of uh, – I had callbacks in my head to mm-hmm. Any Which Way But Loose. <laughs> um, if you remember that movie, Mark, with Clint Eastwood. I, vaguely. I was actually thinking about the end of Rocky. They, they, they've, uh, they've gone the distance, and um, and at the end, <laughs> Apollo's just like, there ain't going to be no rematch. And Rocky goes, I don't want one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely call back to that too. But I, mm-hmm. I was thinking – because. It's a little more of a non-rule situation where uh, mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood's character, Philo Beto, uh, finally fights William Smith, mm-hmm. who has been brought in specifically to fight him. But they end up liking each other and becoming very friendly. So they just finally have this knockdown drag-out fight at the end. And they're just shaking hands after smiling. Yeah, hey, you're really that good, man. Yeah, you're really that good. And we move on friendly. And, you know, they get it out mm-hmm. and kind of like, okay, finally, you guys have reached a conclusion here. All the dumb shit's out the window. You're not stealing my dad. I'm not, you know, you're not taking my sensei away. Like, it's all there. We're all together mm-hmm. now. This is it. And that's right. almost why they get boring to a certain extent. Because mm-hmm. now they're fully formed. Their most central conflict through this course of the series has been against each other because of their relationship with Johnny, because of the feelings for Sam and for Tori. All that shit's out the window now because right. of, you know, when we get to the end of the season and Miguel and Sam are firmly together, Robbie and Tori kind of back together kind of a thing. But the most central conflict was the father figure conflict for both of them. And now that they've seemingly gotten past this and both mending fences with Johnny, Miguel finding out the truth about his dad that, yeah, Carmen wasn't lying to you. Your dad is a scumbag and a dangerous man and you should not be involved with this guy. Mm-hmm. During his uh, excursion to Mexico where Johnny and Robbie go find him. And that, you know, really reaffirms Johnny as a father in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their most central conflict. It's, got, it's done. That's it. It's right. over. They're his characters. So unless something new immediately pops up, it's kind of like, okay, we're fully formed now. Our, we're just we're just tools for the narrative to go forward with the other characters who have more building to do. Not the least of which Tori, Samantha, etc. Well, that's the thing. I think Tori... I, I, I could have lived with this being the finale season. I almost don't want to see what they do with the Sakai Takai because I'm not entirely sure what else there is to say. When, when you resolve the conflict between the two boys, you've already resolved the conflict between Johnny and Danny. You've beaten both villains, though we, we have to talk about Crease in just a second. We'll also you, talk about Terry Silver in that respect, too. You, you've beaten both villains. What Tori's basically... Uh, her situation's resolved. Samantha's not getting any better than she is now. And and everybody walked away from the door. Let me set this up. That way we can talk about it. So at the very end, the big the big finale is the fight in the Cobra Kai dojo. Um, we, and we have Billy, uh, sorry, we have Johnny, who's at Terry Silver's house beating up the senseis and Chosen nearly dies there. All the kids are brawling inside Cobra Kai, but they're looking for footage, damning footage, of something that they can use against Terry Silver. And of course they find him admitting to her, he paid to have her win the tournament. Fine. Now everyone's like, Oh, well, this is all bullshit. And they throw down the jerseys and everyone walks out. Everyone has left Cobra Kai, you know, um, another call back to karate kid three, when the free t-shirts that were distributed before Daniel right. fights, uh, Mike Barnes are all thrown back mm-hmm. at the mats and at crease and Terry. 
Um, I think it's Kenny who, you know, him and Robbie kind of make amends, but not really because he no. feels he's got like egg on his face. Um, you know, he kind of he he threw in and and just just as an aside, as evil as Terry is, the stuff kind of the some of the stuff he says to Kenny resonates with me. And you know, and the, that idea of like so you have the one idiot uh, Asian kid bully who, you know, who, yeah, who keeps like, you know, he keeps bullying Kenny essentially. And finally Kenny's just like, no, I'm not listening to Which you. You're a dumbass. Maybe my favorite line of the series mm-hmm. is from Hawk to Kyler during that episode. And it's, mm-hmm. you're doing the same stupid bully act you've done the whole time. And literally everybody you've bullied has kicked your ass. And then Dimitri <laughs> goes, I have. And Hawk just goes, don't worry, you'll get your chance. Yeah. And he does, I, but <laughs> I actually very much enjoyed Dimitri this season. This is the this is the least annoying Dimitri I've seen in the entire five season run of Cobra Kai. It's also because he's the least Dimitri we've seen, so that's part of it. But that that definitely helps. But um, I want just getting back to Kenny for a second. The one of the things I liked about what happens with Kenny is that he's one. He's very much motivated to continue beating up on the the younger Larusso because he was like, "You bullied me too much," and. I have all this power now. I'm going to put it back to you. But the other side of that is Terry is like, don't be such a follower. There's no, there's no reason why you can't be the leader. You're smart. You're tough. You have, t- you have talent. Go step up. And he and, does. And and this, as, like, what is wrong with that in and of itself? And that's the thing. For as much as a manipulator and a user mm-hmm. as, as Terry is, you know, everybody in his life is a chess piece on a board for him. Right. I do think he sees some of himself in Kenny – you know, Kenny isn't in the military, but his father is in the U.S. Army, much like, mm-hmm. you know, Silver was. He's the smallest of a bunch, you know. So, they were, uh, you know, we reference back to him being called Twig in Vietnam. Right. Um, by Kreese and their other friend. Um, and how he followed this guy. He followed Kreese followed his dad into the business world that he didn't necessarily want to, but he had to because of the money. He followed his captain and his best friend, and that didn't get him anywhere. He had to cut ties and do his own thing. Right. And I do think part of that is is genuine on his end i should say that mm-hmm. he really does genuinely see kenny as someone who he could fit into his mold and make something of really just because he wants to he doesn't necessarily have a use for kenny per se as he does he, well, he needs him to win he needs he's to grooming, win this fight and represent cobra kai but he's, he's grooming as a successor soldiers, yeah you know, to, to win this tournament but beyond that but that's the thing and that's what you're getting at not everything terry does is pure evil yeah you know, he he genuinely wants Tori and Kenny to be successful, but he absolutely wants that success to benefit him. Even even with the Sekai Taikai, where he sees it as that, he's doing it because he wants Cobra Kai karate to be represented as the premier style of karate. His style, that style, the Kim Sung Young style is mm-hmm. what he wants put to the forefront. Now, yeah, he's going to profit off of it if he does do, in fact, what he talked about with broadcast rights. Uh, you know, corporate sponsorships right. and things of that nature. But at the same time, it's not motivated so much by that. That's just an added bonus. The The motivation is to be seen as the, the style of styles. This is what we are the best. Right. And that's insane. And that's intensely personal more so than it is, you know, motivated by finance or personal gain or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even the humiliation of his enemies. Well, that's the other, and that's the other thing, you know, when you think about, television and film villains there's always you know i always bring up thanos as probably like the best most famous most recent example where he was like i see the universe as being one way and so everything i am doing is to uh is to correct that you know that sort of thing terry's 
when Carrie's whole villainous plot is, I want to be in a big tournament and I want that tournament to be known because I think karate is important. Like, he has almost noble goals. He's just kind of a bad shit getting there. Robert Winfrey and I used to always say, you know, it's the best mm -hmm. bad guy isn't the bad guy who convinces you that what he's doing is right. It's that he convinces himself that what he's doing is necessary and right. But the thing, like, the so Thanos' end goal was to eliminate half the live, you know... Uh, correct the balance. Correct. Was to eliminate half the, just for the sake of argument, half the people in the universe. Half the living things in the universe. Not a good thing. That, that murder. On a, on a universal scale. His whole, like, Infinity War plot, <laughs> Terry Silver's big thing, is I would like people to know more about karate. <laughs> I think karate's pretty cool. I, I, I want it to be as recognized as basketball. Like, I, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not, that, the, like, you know, and it's so funny because, like, you have Daniel as this opposing force, like, no, I can't let you win. Winning means less people know about karate and how cool it is. That is the greatness of this show. It's when just you really the, start to the, think the, about the, it. The turns that we make along the highway to mm -hmm. get there. Yes. The detours, maybe not the best way to, to do this. You know, trying to break up someone's marriage, sure. uh, assaulting children in gang fights, um, you know, attempting to murder someone <laughs> here and there, burning down a man's entire business. You know, that seems a bit, I, I was really surprised. So, uh, I, and I want you to talk about this. I've been talking a lot for someone who didn't have anything to say about this show. Um, let's, let's talk about Mike Barnes for a second and how I, I have to say, if I have to say something like critically negative about this, it's, I think the Mike Barnes stuff was a bit rushed. And then the burning of his store seemed like overkill in one episode. I mean, you know, the, the reintroduction of Mike and like what, you know, when they see him with the saws and chosen, mm -hmm. like, you can use that for this. You can use that saw for bone. Like, and they're just assuming after Terry makes the promise of, oh, I'm sure I can find a few old friends to, you know, help Never us had. out. And they, they're like, who do, who do we know that? And Daniel's like, oh, Mike Barnes. So, you know, and then, you, you, you know, they go and, you know, they have a little square off and showdown and. Mike still got some moves, which is cool to see because of anybody in the show, he's kept himself in the best shape from the original series. Right. Like he still looks like he's a, he's a guy who can go. Um, and uh, so they have this whole little fun misunderstanding where you find out he does own the furniture store and he's just living a normal life and everything's fine. Can I can and I say how it's funny that I'll, that the perspective of this show is yes, we had these tumultuous times, but everyone fucking moved on. <laughs> like even Terry, he moved on. Everyone moved on from this. It's only like yeah, and uh, so then, Daniel you know, and, and, and um, Johnny who are just stuck in the past. Yeah, God. but but that's the thing with Mike, and it, yes, it's very rushed. Uh, I think they were just looking for a way to incorporate him, and in that would make mm -hmm. sense. And the way they did it did make sense. And then again, that's just another way of trying to really up you. Like you kind of you see Mike Barnes, and it's like, oh, he's a normal guy. Okay, he can't help. He's not going to factor in the fight and anything at any point. That's fine. He doesn't have mm -hmm. to. Not everybody's still going to be a karate master all these years later. But he does have the lawyer's name who drew up the papers for him. Okay, you know, it's 30-some-odd years later. Maybe he's not still Terry's practicing attorney or what have you, you know. Jerry mm -hmm. McDivick doesn't still work for Vince McMahon at this point. So, you know, things can change. Well, sure enough, Terry's still a man of means, as this different strong, uh, the Different Strokes uh, theme song says. So, of course, this lawyer reaches out to him. And as soon as Terry finds out who reached out to him and how, well, no, that doesn't, that's not going to work for me. And he burns down his business, which then you find out later on it was completely leveraged. So that was everything the guy had. And, right. And then the, the bad boy comes back out, which is fun to see. Like, 
you know, oh yeah, I'm going to knock his ass out. Then I'm coming for you. That was a funny scene. Cause you know, they're like, listen, with when dealing, we've, we've come directly at Terry, it ends poorly. So we're going to do things. We're going to maneuver. And Mike Bond's like, fuck all y'all. I'm going, I'm going right at this guy. I like this guy's style. <laughs> yes. You know, right up Johnny's alleys. Of course, these two guys are going to just hit it off right off the bat. And yeah. chosen being the Japanese version of this guy. And can we just <laughs> talk about how cool it is that the three nemeses from the original franchise all band together as like Daniel's four horsemen, like he's Ric Flair, and then you got Arn <laughs> Tully and Barry Windham right behind them all. Now they've been chasing this champ, but nah, we're all together now. We're gonna go do this while you handle the main event. Like it's, it's so great. I wanna I guess we should talk about that. Um you know, every season there's a big brawl or there's a tournament or something. Um, Daniel has definitely had some scraps over four seasons and now five, but I don't think he had a moment. He, him and him and Johnny have had a, a couple of tussles. You know, he's, you know, he's gone at Ter- Terry once or twice. But the once thing about in a very humbling manner. Yeah, the thing about the Karate Kid is he beats Johnny. He beats Chosen. And he beats Mike fucking Barnes. And we never see him beat anyone in this show. You know, he, again, he gets, he, he gets out of some situations, but he never has that karate kid moment. And they finally gave it five seasons in. We finally get a Daniel LaRusso. I won the big day moment when he kicked Terry Silver's ass. And they did it really nicely because it was one of those where he was hoisted by his own petard. You know, he taught him, you know, if a man can't breathe, he can't fight. If a man can't stand, he can't fight. And Daniel uses those lessons on Terry. And I'm like, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah, definitely not something that Terry saw coming, especially mm. after I think he's flashing back. And his had a little bit when he first encountered Johnny when he lured him to the dojo, you know, last year and blindsided him, basically. And then he saw Johnny take on a couple of Miyagi-Do moves with defense. Mm. So he's not thinking Daniel's going to reapply the Quicksilver method to him. And sure enough, you know, Daniel's flashing back and I'm going to use this crap against you now. Mm-hmm. And then when he's got him on the ropes, the last one is a man can't see. So he's going to hit him right square in the face. And he does it with the one move we've all been waiting to see Daniel break out since the start of the show. He the, the pulls it kick. up and we get yep. the Miyagi crane kick right in Terry's face, especially since Terry knocked it in the third movie. What are you going to do that crane crap again? <laughs> yeah, but- he's going to do it in your face, Terry. What I love about it is how inconsistent the crane is. So, of course, no one sees the crane coming in the first Karate Kid, and he gets Johnny with it. And, of course, now Johnny now refers to that as an illegal kick. Whatever. Um, he yes. Johnny goes right to it. In the, sorry. Um, Danny Yo. goes... Daniel LaRusso goes oh. right to it in the second one. And Chilton's like, get that shit out of here. <laughs> it just knocks him down. He blocks it immediately. And then I guess he gets him, gets him with it in the third one. Um... No, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything with it in the third one. Oh, no, he doesn't? Okay. No. But uh, but then we get Miguel using it in the first tournament match in mm-hmm. Cobra Kai Season 1, which is hysterical. Yeah. But if you'll recall, we also had a UFC card where Lyoto Machida used yes. said kick on Randy Couture. Yes, and Joe Rogan came so hard, his pants shot off into the atmosphere. No can defend. <laughs> so good. See the crane. So, so I don't ever want to hear about how that kick can't work. He hit one of the most seasoned, intelligent fighters of all time with it. Yep. And then Brock beat him with a backhand. That's a whole other conversation. Meh. Anyway, um, I have my doubts about that fight, but we'll talk about it some other time. Anyway, you 
Daniel has D- D- Daniel clearly is like the hero of this show. But as we've talked about as we over the course of five seasons, because he's Daniel, half an idiot, he gets in his own way. Yes, that he's a very flawed character. And I think one of the things that we as uh, uh, as viewers tune into is we want to see him succeed. He's not a bad guy. He's just very flawed and in a weird situation. And we want to see him have a big win. And he hasn't had any big win. It took five seasons to get to a big win. You know, the kids will win things here and there. But we've never really seen Daniel conquer the villain. Because every season something happens. Where it's like, oh, you know, one season ends. He's like, we got to team up with Johnny. Another season ends. Oh, I got to bring back Chosen. We've always had a situation that didn't require those means to finally have to happen. Right. And And that's what Terry Silver brings to the table. Right. And so that's why I said if they had just ended it with season five, I'd have been satisfied. That was a very fulfilling ending for me to see him finally conquer and have that big hero moment with Terry Silva, with all the kids, the entire cast. It was like the Avengers. Everyone's here. (laughs) We're all watching. And he has this moment and he was like, yes, I am the best. I am the karate guy or the karate kid, as it were. And it was great. It was it, it was a fun moment in, in for me in, in television history where you finally get to see Daniel win the day after five seasons. So like the it was most, a long time coming. The most physical and therapeutic moment of his life all at one time because he's yeah. finally exercised this demon that's haunted him for 30 years. You know, the other thing going back to Amanda, Amanda, I don't think he's ever really seen him do it. You know, Amanda comes along well after he's put all the karate stuff behind him. And she never really got what all this meant to him. And then she gets to see him in action. It's like, ooh, I'm just kind of putting like, you know, they don't really address it in the show, but just I'm just sort of, I guess, maybe projecting. You have to be as his wife and having gone through four seasons of for the love of God, Rocky, why do you have to fight the Russian? Um, <laughs> four seasons of this. And, you know, and here she's like, I get it now. Wow. You are. <laughs> you are great. How many references am I packing into this one conversation? Well, if I can change and you can change, then Amanda can change. This is true. This is why. Which she's also, not- again, they they have to throw in another Rocky reference when they have the Sekai Taikai reps there, and, and Johnny has to go in full Rocky Balboa. And of course, the chairman of the board is is a former Soviet expat, so he immediately falls right into the Rocky Four. Yes, Rocky Balboa is the hero who freed my people. <laughs> right. It. I get it. That's right. The end of the Cold War. And then. And then at the end, you know, when it's like, you know, listen, man, if I can change and you can change, everything can change. This guy gets it. I do get it. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Perfect. Um, all right. I will uh, give you the last 15 minutes here to talk, 15, 20 minutes to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, because I think I got my list out. So I would have honestly liked to see more of Kenny Payne in this season. Okay. Um, I think when he gets his time, he shines well. I think Dallas Dupree Young is a really good at young actor. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was asked to do a lot in a very short window of time. And I think what he was asked to do, he did well. Um, his character is, I don't want to call him a rehash of Robbie per se, but mm-hmm. he's someone who's definitely dealing with the lack of a you know distinct parental figure. It's not that his dad is an absentee. He's just in the army. Like that happens. Right. Um, and his older brother is, is a screw up who's now in juvie. Um, so, you know, and Terry illustrates that point to him where, you know, you, know, you got to step up and be your own man at a certain point, even though you're still technically following me, but I'm encouraging you to, and I'm empowering you to do this right. yourself. And I think it was good. And I'm very glad we didn't get the whole, at the end of the season, him and Robbie hug, make up. I'm sorry. I should have listened because that he's still conflicted. 
Right. Everybody he's been trusting to a certain point has now burned him in one way or another, including Silver, who just gave him this big motivational rah-rah moment before the fight. And now he sees that this guy's just buying people off. And is is anything that guy told me real? So now he's going to have a ton of self-doubt. Right. And he's like, you know, just just leave me for now. And it makes sense. And I thought that his facial acting was very good at that, especially for Mm -hmm. such a young kid who we were introduced to smiling. And, you know, it looks like like he aged two years in between the seasons. But that's what happens during puberty. You know, I would like to see him in like a finding Forrester kind of a role. Like I would like to see him something something very dramatic because I think he's got the chops for it. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Sam can be one of those characters who annoys the piss out of you. But you also really feel for, and I, I think that's a credit to Mary Mouser. I think she's yeah. very good. I described her as kind of twatty, but she's definitely become less entitled over five seasons. Like by the end of season five, I don't have those kinds of harsh feelings towards. I think that's more of me reacting to the to the overall arc that she's been through, and yeah. and she definitely pulled the plane out of the pulled the twatty plane out of the tailspin in season five, because I think even going into it, she was still kind of that way. Even in the Stingray episode, where she's like, this guy's not talking. As if. Like, the world owes her a living. Yeah. Entitled brat that she is. But I think also the fact that she's been broken out of this Valley, Rich Valley girl stereotype over the course of these Mm -hmm. five seasons. And there's still a little bit of fallback to it here, fallback to it here. Like, she, you know, even starting this year, she goes with Moon and Yasmin to a, a spa, you know, and they're doing a sensory deprivation tank or whatever they call it. Um, oh, that's a great, that's actually a little, a nice little moment for her where she's like, I don't know who I am. That's what I wanted to key in on. Cause I think that mm-hmm. scene, she really does a great job of showing how conflicted this poor teenage girl is. Yeah. And no matter how mad we as viewers may get at her in certain instances, it's, it's kind of really bottom lined in that scene. Well, and made to make sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you, Pat, and see if you'll sleep with it. You know, you and I, men's men, to one degree or another, uh, we definitely have a you know we're also north of 35. Um, Barely, thank you. Whatever, I'm about to be 50. Go fuck yourself. Um, so <laughs> we we have a perspective. We we have a point of view. We were raised a certain way, as I talked about at the top of the show. I'm actually wondering how many people, maybe ten to twenty years younger than us, um, or or even or more, actually relate to her more. Like, like she gives us sort of a negative vibe. I use the word entitled. If I'm not being mean about it, and you leave the word twatty out of this, she comes across as very entitled, and I don't like it. And I and it gives me all the negative vibes. But I'm wondering how many girls watch this show and go, I see myself in her. Like, I don't see great things there, but I but I definitely am more sympathetic to her. You know, I wonder how many younger people are like, oh, no, no, her behavior totally tracks. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of it, too, because, you know, this is a show that has such a good range of what audience it can bring in based on these characters. This really is something that people of many, many ages can watch and find things they enjoy, key in on, relate to, and understand, yeah. and still be entertained by the other stuff. Um, right. But I think Mary... Mary's been given a character that has a lot of spotlight put on her. And in certain situations, the way she's written doesn't always allow her to, to fully become palatable to one group versus another. But I say in a lot of ways, even though she came into this as one of the more mature pieces of the kid Mm -hmm. puzzle versus Robbie versus Miguel versus Tori, She's done the most maturing other than arguably Tori over the course of the five seasons. Although yeah. I think Tori's maturation was really this season yes. more than 
really just boom, hit it. Whereas Mary's or Samantha's has been a continual maturation through the show. Yeah. And I'll say getting, this. Wait, hang on. Were you getting Ross and Rachel vibes from um, Samantha and Miguel? I never watched we, Friends. So. Okay. So there's a whole bit in Friends of Ross, I guess, slept with somebody. We while, were on a break. Is that the thing? We, we were on a break. Yeah. I, and, I know the reference. What a girl thing, though. I just, I just want to well, yeah. vent about that for a second. What a girl thing. I don't want to be with you right now. Let's just be friends. Okay, so since we're friends, I'm But you can't be with anybody else. Boy, yeah. That at all. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's, that's not a Ross Rachel thing. That's a that's a real life thing, pal. <laughs> that is a that is a woman thing of a Let ever me take you it. back to last no, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm just saying because um, was. Um <laughs> anyway. That's the second time I've referenced Chuck Nines like this week. Yo, Chuck, where are you? And anyway, um, but I think her maturation has been a, a, a consistency in this show that's been good. I'll say she's the most consistent fighter of the bunch. Yes. And, and I, I really do want to call out in terms of the, the karate that we see from the, ki the kids, especially. Mm. It's gotten so much better year to year to year, the mm. consistency of their abilities that you see. And I know I'm in the minority that's actually watching the karate and looking at what they do and looking at it from an objective perspective of someone who's a practitioner of martial arts. Um, Yes, but the fight choreography their, is probably top notch in the show. To to see their skill levels just mm -hmm. really go and get better each season is really impressive. It shows that they're working very hard um, to really make this show work. Um, Thomas Sam Griffith does his own stunts, mind you, for the for this because he is an actual black belt and just amazing. Terry Silver, we love you. Um, <laughs> but the kids, man, the, their technique has gotten so good, and Mary's is really, really good when you look at her. She's mm -hmm. on balance on what she throws, and she always is nice enough to be like, this is my stunt double. She's amazing. But when you actually have to see these kids execute these moves, it's really impressive. And I know they have multiple takes to do them and things of that nature. That's fine. Guess well, what? Kids in dojos don't pull these moves off the first time they try them either. They have right. to practice them and work at them. And they're not doing it under the lights of an entire production crew with an audience watching them and all their co-stars watching them. It's, it's very different. And – the fight choreography, so much slicker, so much more natural for them. And I think that's mm -hmm. awesome. And again, just looking at the, because again, this is a show about karate in many respects. Sam has been the most consistent fighter of anybody in this show where she's won basically every fight she's had with the exception of the tournament fight, which was she lost under, you know, dubious circumstances based on biased officiating Canelo. And, mm -hmm. um, but she she's also won fights in all these different. She had to fight for her life against Tori in the in the school when Tori right. was gonna you know ram her with spikes. She had to fight in the mall to defend Dimitri. She had to fight in the in the laser tag place until she got scared. She had to fight at her home when it was broken into, and then she has to fight at this tournament. She has never backed down from a fight other than in the laser tag place, and that was because she was struggling to find her courage and what she was doing without mentorship. Right. And she's the one who's going to carry on this karate legacy. If they, if they have an all-whatever fight, Sam's the one. I'm picking Sam every time if I have to have somebody rep me. More than Robbie, who's lost clean to Hawk. More than Hawk, who's lost clean to Miguel. More than Miguel, who's had to beat an injured Robbie. And his his, his injury is in. We don't know. Sam's the one. Sam's going to carry this thing on to the next generation. Okay. I mean, this is the, this is the sequel to The Karate Kid. Um, I, you know, it only makes sense that a LaRusso would win the day. Also, Brett Akimoto as chosen, fantastic. I, or Yuji Akimoto, <laughs> excuse me. There is a Brett Akimoto that's a different guy. Yuji Akimoto as chosen, 
fantastic. We talked about the depth they gave him prior to this when they reintroduced him in season, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, the season when he goes to Japan. Re- love him. Love him this year. Uh, I, ha- I I tell you what, the show does a really good job at sometimes of really evoking some emotion out of me. And, you know, him on the phone with uh, uh, Kikmo. Oh, gosh, what's the girl's name? Kokomo. I was waiting for you to just do the Johnny and go Kokomo. <laughs> yes. Kumiko. Kamiko, yeah, him on the phone with Kamiko and that that actor being able to really convey with his whole body language how much he loves her and like you could be you could be a tough man's man and you could just exude um, testosterone and and all of that, but when not when, me up. when you when the girl of your dreams gives you that little bit of attention, how you all just, how we all as men just go, you know, we all do it. We all with that one girl. You might not be with your first choice, but when your first choice does pay you a little bit of attention, all of it just we just all unravel. And, and, and I like the, the, when when Johnny lets it slip to Daniel and Daniel goes over and talks to him and he's like, You gotta stop punishing yourself at a certain point if she's already forgiven you. Right. Because a couple of us get stuck in that mindset sometimes. Yeah, we do. Um, and so and then and then of course he gets on the bus and off they go to uh to Terry Silvers. But <laughs> um anything else, Pat? Uh, I'm very surprised that of the two senseis who are real life fighters, we didn't get more Wonder Boy since he's actually a karate practitioner versus Tyron Woodley, who's largely a wrestler. And was I was going to say, I recognize Tyron Woodley. I didn't recognize Stephen Thompson. He's very briefly in it. Um, you see him okay. during Kenny's breaking demonstration. Kenny okay. actually sweeps him by the leg and stomps through the thing he's holding up. And he's in another scene where you just see the senseis lined up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Wonder- That's weird. I want to see more of Devin Lee next year. I think she's doing really well. I think she's a great character. Yes. Uh, Silver's right-hand lady from Korea, the granddaughter of Kim Sung-young, mm-hmm. may potentially be involved with Crease next year, if I'm guessing. I think she may... Well, that, that is something we can talk about as we conclude our discussion. We have one more season, and they still have to do the Sakai Takai tournament. So, Both Kai, of which have qualified for. As I say, Cobra Kai still exists. They're still, they still have their ability to be in the tournament. They just have to rebuild now. So I'll be curious to see how they do that. Um... We, we know that John Kreese has, or we know that Terry Silver is tight with the DA as referenced mm. by Kreese when he talks about how he got stuck in jail. Hang on. Yeah, I needed to talk about that. That whole ending was so stupid. That is not how this works. No. You can, you the cannot, you cannot just recant your entire statement in the midst of an investigation. They, first of all, they had to drag Stingray off the jail. You know, that, there's that, a thing called perjury. Yeah, that no, that doesn't work that way. It's like, I'm sorry, I lied, officer. Oh, I mean, I'd well, love arrest him. I'd, I'd love it if Stingray does go to jail and we don't have to see him again. Yeah, no shit. I, I'm kind of done with that character. But, like, I was thinking about, like, what did they arrest Terry Silva for? He, they, the kids all broke into his business. Chosen and, and Johnny and Mike broke into his home. So even right. if he tried to kill Chosen, which he clearly did, <laughs> it's self-defense. Especially if you're in Florida. Again, you can make the case of the man came at him with weapons and he defended himself with yet another weapon. I, I'm i kind of on Terry Silva's side here and I'm watching them arrest him and I'm like, for what cro- for for fixing a tournament? That's not a, <laughs> that's not a misdemeanor. I mean, maybe it's felony. illegal in some weird way, but that's not <laughs> enough to get this guy hauled off. However, now mm-hmm. when they make the case about how Stingray is saying, well, this guy is the guy who actually assaulted me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was paid to do this under this. Yeah, they might take that testimony seriously. But one, if Silver operates the way we think he do, 
he has a lawyer that will immediately get this guy's testimony disqualified because he's already said this and admits that he's perjuring himself. How can we believe anything he says? And that's just basic law school 101. My, my, so I don't think we've seen the last of Mr. Silver. My, my point is in a domestic violence situation, if the, at best is what happened here. In a domestic violence situation, yeah, they will take one person's side over the other or you're both going to go to jail. At least, if, at least in any law enforcement thing that yeah. I've ever been involved with. If you if you call the police out, someone's getting hauled off. It, it, yes, one or one or both of you is going to jail. That's how right. this works. But that and that is the only reason why at the end of that I was like, maybe. But is that what we're doing here? Is that the, because the the implication is he got hauled off for just essentially the the law he violated was villainy. He he like he got arrested for being a villain. I don't know bad what else man. happened. Go here. to jail. <laughs> right, he's bad. You're under arrest. I don't for what. Um. And then hearing Stingray like recant his testimony, it's like that's not how that works. Number one, they're not going to do this, do that in the street. But um, yeah, and then Doc we have the Crease breakout. Yeah, then Crease in a really funny sequence breaks out of prison. I, I would imagine Crease and Silver are going to make amends and go. This is we need to rebuild Cobra Kai to win this Akai to Kai and kill Danny Danny Larusso. End of discussion. That has to be what happens in season six. I feel like they've done the Creases faked his death angle so many times at this point that he's actually going to die next year. I feel like he has to. I don't know if anyone has to die in this show, but... No, John Creese has to die. You think so? Okay. I really do. I think they've built it up so much that it has to happen at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Terry's the one who kills him. If, like, that's the first episode of the next season, Terry's out of jail, he fakes making amends to John about what went mm -hmm. on and everything, and he kills Kreese, that'd be fantastic. Um, Then if you could tie the body to him, he might actually go to jail. Maybe. But then, yeah, maybe at the end of the, you know, Amanda LaRusso, not Amanda, uh, Sammy LaRusso wins the whole Sakai to guy. I I mean, whatever. I, I guess we'll see what happens. I'll be curious to see who they end up filling Cobra Kai with since every since it looked like every kid in the valley involved in martial arts saw what happened and was like fuck this shit yeah what do they do do they go to just juvie and pull these kids out of there like do we get Kenny how Kane great would brother? that be if it's like the long the longest yard <laughs> the karate version where it's just like like getting early release for kids it's like what are you in for murder <laughs> murder hey, you know what would make you a better murderer karate karate right can we can we get this kid in solitary? I don't know. He ate someone. It's fine. Or, <laughs> or, or you know, well, again, Crease's right hand lady. Uh, her name is escaping me for the moment, but mm-hmm. she uh, she referenced her students in Korea. Yeah. Is that now Cobra Kai? Is that what we have? So there's some space to move here, but yeah, I I'm, I don't I haven't looked to see if it's been renewed past season six. I hope not. There really I don't is think no it has. I think season six was the last that was greenlit. I think they greenlit yeah. five and six at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that was that was it. Yeah. All right, Pat. Well, I had fun talking about this show. I, I really did enjoy this season. I think it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's one of those shows where both the critics and the fans recognize just how good this show is. But what a weird world we live in where we have so much Marvel and DC and uh, Star Wars. We have all these. We have all this stuff that's out there. And so much of it is terrible. But this little this little YouTube show about, you know, about essentially a joke that came out of How I Met Your Mother has become one of the best written shows on television, one of the best acted shows on television. And yeah, at times it can be a little cringy, at least for me. Sure. But, you know, in, in that misunderstanding Three's Company kind of a way. But it, but 
I don't know if that's an indictment of the state of television or is this really is just a phenomenal like it's one of those like, I used to say about like Matt Riddle and Vince McMahon. If Vince McMahon isn't paying any attention to what's happening here, you're going to get a decent product. It's just leave NXT alone, you know, let it do its own thing. Oh, it's the best. It's the best wrestling. It, it, on TV. It's both. It's it's a well written, well acted, dynamic, mm-hmm. entertaining series. And yeah, TV largely sucks, mostly due to the fact that they take these existing franchises and just you know rape and pillage. But that I guess that's the last thing I wanted to say on this. It's like this feels like a television show. I mean, it's produced by Sony. I, I guess no one's paying any attention, so they're just allowed to do whatever. And because they're allowed to do whatever, and they're and they're doing it with care. There's no agenda here. There's no the message. There's nothing. It's just people passionate about this show. And and actually doing well with it, and, and yeah, it's the it's the involvement of people who actually love the franchise and mm-hmm. got involved with the people who were a part of that franchise who love it just as much, right? And you know, and and the people who are getting their first real break in this franchise, loving it for what it's doing for them, and wanting it to succeed. And I think that's the important thing here. This doesn't seem like content for content's sake to put on the infinite shelf of streaming. This seems like a passion product product. Yeah, passion project for everyone involved and it shows and they are to be amply rewarded for their efforts so that's my thoughts on cobra kai season five and mine and yours all right uh that wraps up our week in podcast here our deadpool review from 2016 air re-aired today um that was another one from the blog talk radio years that's now on our w2m feed uh, you ever want, want to hear Robert and I get into a fucking fist fight for no good reason? Listen to our Deadpool review. A review that was so cantankerous, my friend called me and said, are you still friends with him? Because you're a jerk. That's how bad that got, apparently. It's, like, it's, it's in our top five of ones where we really went at one, one, one another over it. He fucking hated that movie, and I, at the time, couldn't understand why. So, I mean, I know, I know now. It's like five years later, but yikes. Uh, six years later. Uh, so that dropped today. Thir- uh, Tuesday night, Jesse dropped his lieutenants, uh, new lieutenants of metal review that we the united together. And hey, I'm happy to announce it's the return of the gag reel. Yes, me and Jesse just cracking wise and touching each other's wieners. It's fantastic. Uh, so check out our review. I was going to call it a softer show, but then you said touching wieners, and I would hope it wouldn't be a soft show at that point. <laughs> no, it was very hard, very vascular. Um, anyway, so that dropped on Tuesday as well. We had Zachary Strobel, um, who is a published author of children's books and an art teacher, friend of Alexis Haina. He came on to talk Pinocchio with Alexis, Robert, and myself. And despite my computer crashing mid- in the middle of the show, we actually had a good time uh, talking about that garbage piece of shit movie. That's called divine intervention, Mark, when your computer crashed <laughs> in the middle of that show. Um, and speaking of touching wieners, Jesse and I reviewed The Wire season two. From the corner to the deuce, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing the, to look at the great works of David Simon. So check out our review of The Wire season two. Um, another uh, re-air this week was Chef's Table, which I did with a friend from high school, Mark Roth. And um, next week, we'll be reviewing Clutch, Sunrise on Slaughter Beach, and The Orville season three. And if I have time, I will put up some more old shows on the W2M blog page. Pat, what do you got going on in your world? Uh, I don't have a ton. Um, we've got uh, Canelo Triple G happening Saturday. Uh, you can watch Canelo uh, fight a guy he actively has run from for four years uh, who beat him twice, although that didn't, that's not how the three blind mice at ringside saw it. 
Uh, I don't have a ton of podcasting stuff happening in the immediate future. Um, eventually, in a, a few months, Mark and I are going to be back in the boxing realm. Uh, after a couple of these big fights happen, we're going to be reviewing some of the great fights of all time, uh, series, and some one-offs. Uh, so be on the lookout for that with our History of Boxing return uh, in November, I believe, is our first uh, show where we're going to be talking about the great uh, Jose Luis Castillo versus Diego Corrales war that happened in 2005. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Gavin Napier is actually going to dust off the podcast and shoes and join us for that one. Uh, um, also, hang on. I believe the first one is December 12th and oh, we're starting December 12th. Riddick Bowe versus Andrew Galata one and two. Oh, speaking of touching wieners. Yeah. <laughs> Mark wants to talk nut shots, everybody. So we're going to start there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> An auspicious start to the history of boxing return. We're going to talk about the great dick punch of, uh, the nineties. Yeah. And then December 22nd is Diego Corrales versus Luis Castillo, uh, which I believe that's the one that Gavin's going to be on. And yep. then January 26th is Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Cesar Chavez, and we'll go from there. To continue the great tradition of Mexican superstars getting decisions they don't deserve. Um, <laughs> much like we'll see this weekend. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we got that going on. This is also the time of year when uh, I, I tend to plug to everybody, hey, there's this really great charity called St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. If you have some spare change laying around before you do your Christmas shopping, they are a great place to donate to. Uh, every September, I kind of make a push to advertise it to people like, hey, this is an MPO that really just does everything they can to treat terminally ill children without means or resources. So keep them in your minds and hearts. As much as we'd like your money, we'd rather it go to them first than us. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on TV Party tonight. One of the very few that I'm doing, um, I'm wrapping up some, you know, some of these other ones like the Orville and Strange New Worlds and The Crown, but for the most part, I'm turning this over to Alexis, kind of like when when uh, Sam Malone turned Cheers over to Rebecca. So, <laughs> very, very <laughs> what an analogy! All right, be well, be safe, and behave.